This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Yesterday at City Council, I thought it was really interesting. You know, Jennifer McKelvey's the deputy mayor, and I thought she had a really strong day yesterday. And, and I actually, you can read human emotion sometimes, and uh, she's ticked. Like, she's not just saying it because she has to, because it's her job. She's ticked off. She's absolutely ticked off. Listen to this reference. What do you notice out of the gate here with her talking about Christian Freeland? I find this fascinating on two fronts. Here's what she said about the city. We told you this would happen. The city getting zippo, nothing, zero in the federal budget uh, to bail them out. I'm disappointed the deputy prime minister, a Toronto MP, would ignore a direct commitment the federal liberals made during the last election to the city of Toronto. So you're going to see those cuts rapidly happen in 2024 if we don't get assistance. Uh, We are able to use the reserves we've squirreled away uh, to pay for this year, but it's not a good strategy going forward. It's like taking out your RRSPs to pay your mortgage. Yeah, it is. It is that it, it. And I don't know what Toronto looks to cut. Someone asked me a question yesterday because they know how obsessed I am by it. And they said, do you think Toronto would pull out of hosting World Cup games just because of the cost? And I there I am. I just paused again. I did exactly on the phone what what I'm doing right now, because it's not if it's not a no brainer right away, then then you're leaving something in the airspace there. I don't think so. I'm almost sure that they wouldn't. But how could I potentially a million percent rule it out? I haven't heard anything. I'm not starting a rumor. That's not gossip. That's not speculation. I bet you it happens. But the infrastructure is going to be weird. If you're cutting a bunch of services in 2024, and yet you're building, uh, you're pumping up a bunch of facilities on steroids right around BMO Field to host five soccer games. Six soccer games at max, like this is not, it's not the Olympics. It's not going to be the be all and end all. If Toronto doesn't host, Cincinnati will. If Toronto doesn't host, some other city will. Doesn't have to be in Canada even. I don't know. So um, the federal government's got a lot of, there's, there's a tension here and there's going to continue to be. How is the new mayor going to work with Doug Ford? How's the new mayor going to work with um, the prime minister? And that's going to be fascinating. And by the way, are we going to have a different prime minister and a whole different relationship to establish for the new mayor? This mayor may have to work with two prime ministers, the current one, and maybe, maybe the next one. He probably, or she probably gets Doug Ford all the way through to 2026. We'll probably have a municipal election and a, and a provincial election in the same year once again. And the whole landscape could look a lot different. Um, but look, Toronto running out of money. We'll talk later in the show about the things that could potentially get cut. Um, there's a lot of conversations that will end up happening today. Uh, Sheba Siddiqui is our uh, producer, and we welcome her in now. Uh, it's uh, amazing as well. We'll get uh, we'll get two big names in here and two big faces and voices, and I think people will be excited to hear what they have to say. Only on Toronto Today. <laughs> Do you have bumper stickers ready to roll? Coffee I'm going mugs? to. I'm going to. We have two fantastic guests who are making some major announcements today on our show in studio with you. So uh, I'll be there with my camera, like, you know, the good mom saying, everybody Aww. say cheese. Well, you should be in the pictures also. We've got to find a way to make that no, happen. No, I'm, I'm the producer. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you have any kind of bias or anything like that. That doesn't mean, you know, and you, and you and I are suburbanites, so we don't get to vote. No, I'm the, um, what is it? What is this? I'm the stage mom. And you're, you're my, I don't know. Okay. You're my toddlers this, and tiaras, you know. Oh, my <laughs> heavens. I've been called worse. Um, 
this is uh, this is an unbelievable. Like I, I worry every day. I, I'm like, when does it all end? When do we stop knowing things about yeah. the uh, accused killer? in the Saturday uh, murder of the 16-year-old. There's even more information. We found out he he was arrested for attacking somebody with a box cutter just last summer, but there's a lot more to it than that. There's so much. So this person, he's a 22-year-old man. He's um, been in and out of homeless shelters. He's been in and out of jail, has multiple arrests through his entire life, his adult life, I should say, uh, and a series of probation orders. So when prior to attacking Gabriel on the subway on Saturday night, uh, just two weeks prior to that, he had sexually assaulted a Toronto woman. And this is what new, newly obtained court records show that this is what happened. Uh, and also that judges, GTA judges, because we know that he's from Newfoundland, people were looking for him in Newfoundland. But GTA judges had ordered him to attend counseling for mental health issues as well as substance abuse. So if somebody has been ordered to do this, obviously you can't force them, but shouldn't you be keeping an eye on them, a close eye on them? Onto what's happening with them, especially if they've recently sexually assaulted someone. I feel like this person was, uh, there's something lacking in our legal system. There is. How do we not even have, I thought about this with with an ankle bracelet. I thought about this. Can't, don't we have the tech even with an ankle bracelet to document, okay, you're at your house and maybe you need to go out here and go out there. But couldn't the ankle bracelet alert us when you're out of province, out of city, out of the district or, or, the, or the geographical area that we would allow you to go? I don't understand why we haven't. There have to be countries that have advanced to that. So they keep jail. If if they can't fit him in jail and probably he should be there, then at the minimum, there's a better way to monitor him, like you're saying. Or even just a cell phone monitoring. Isn't that that's what a lot of police stations do now, right? right? They do exactly figure out where this person is based. There was a girl that was just kidnapped, a little girl in the States this week and how do they find her because of her iPad it was in her backpack amazing and they yeah. traced it I'm so I mean this is the same thing we can do for people like this where are you exactly what are you up to what are you doing because he was ordered to attend counseling for mental health issues substance abuse issues and assaulting a Toronto woman sexually assaulting a Toronto woman there is obviously a major problem here we're letting this person walk freely in the streets and look what happened and I know next segment we're, we're going to talk about um, a, a case where a, a, a Toronto cop has been uh, sanctioned and charged with basically just not following through the protocol of a domestic violence case. And there's there's data out there that screams to this Sheba that if you can if you could better police and prosecute domestic violence cases, then murders like this wouldn't even happen. There's always a pattern with violence. There's always a pattern. It's a complicated issue. Yeah. 616, we'll uh, update you on that, the Toronto cop, the trouble he is in and why he is there. But more importantly, um, there's a woman that's dead who said, please protect me from person X. And it didn't seem to happen. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Sheba and I have two stories that are uniquely, you know, different, Sheba, but they're both, you know, they both significantly point out. We got problems with um, convictions, sentencing, parole, um, and and a lot of it just has to do with with who judges are and and how closely they're paying attention to the actual cases they're supposed to be supposed to be presiding over. Well, this to me is a crazy story that I don't even understand. So there was a Durham police officer who uh, was at a party with a woman, and uh, it was a house party, a mutual friend's house. This was in 2018. And this woman had fallen asleep at the party, uh, or following the party, I should say, and she mm-hmm. has no memory of the incident. But uh, the homeowners actually walked in on this police officer alone with the woman in a bedroom. And I guess there was a 
there was something inappropriate going on, which we don't know the details of that yet. So this went to court. And what happened was, I mean, he was, uh, so he was accused of sexually assaulting this woman who was in her mid-20s while he was off-duty, sentenced to 12 months in jail. However, he got bail shortly after that, um, pending the outcome of his appeal. Now, what happens after this is very confusing to me. The judge that was assigned to this case uh, was a per diem judge. So it's someone who, a per diem judge is somebody who's semi-retired, and they work on a part-time basis, right? And you, you're allowed to work a maximum of up to 96 days a year as a judge to keep this uh, this title. Uh, so what happened was this judge went on vacation. Uh, granted, this is during the pandemic now. He's in vacation. He's on vacation in Barbados, and for some reason, uh, he was not allowed. He requested to do the trial from Barbados. I think there was a lockdown. I, I, Gosh, no, this is like it, what's well, his name? It, Rod it Phillips like, style. Yeah, it looks like it was because it start. The trial started November 2019. It, maybe it was right before we locked down then, because that's about three months before. Yes, it was, and he was in Barbados. And he wanted to do it from there, and um, he was denied this. He didn't want to come back from his vacation. So they threw out this case because of that. Now, I didn't know this. The Supreme Court of Canada has said that provincial court cases must be completed within 18 months. Otherwise, they have to be tossed. Like, it's not even the trial. He was convicted. Yeah. It's not even, we can't We can't get the paperwork. We didn't cross. Like, there's a case right now um, with, with a boy that obviously there was a drunk driving case, right, where a T wasn't crossed somewhere or an I wasn't dotted. And um, I think Alex Pearson talked to the, the the mom or the dad, and they're like, "You got to be kidding me! Like, it, 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 there can't be a procedural error with with a pen and paper that costs us, but but co- that costs us a trial to get justice for our, our deceased son. This isn't that. This yeah. is a conviction of, of someone sexually assaulting a woman because of a red tape. Because the judge was on vacation and didn't want to come back. Yeah." It's been over 180, or it's been over 18 months, so it's tossed out. Now, this, I, I would say, equally notorious. It was on the front page of the Star yesterday, and this is where, and I said this about police. It's a lot like everything. Like you can't just say, "Well, I'm for the police. I'm against the police." Everything is everything has gray matter and gray area. You could say, "I we need the cops and we need the police to do this that," but also. They've got to do the work properly and they've got to investigate themselves and convict themselves when they don't. And this cop uh, allegedly ignored a domestic violence report three days later. Um, This ex-boyfriend who was um, bothering, harassing uh, this 23-year-old woman, she's dead 72 hours later, murdered by her ex-boyfriend. And a Toronto police document outlines the allegations. This constable's name is Anson Alfonso. And, the, you know, this is a positive step, I think. The police said you took no action, wrote, you took no action to protect the complainant despite her repeated pleas that her ex-boyfriend's behavior caused her to fear for her safety. Your failure to act showed a reckless disregard for the safety of the complainant. Guy's been on the job four years. He didn't enter a plea, but there's four misconduct charges. He's currently suspended with pay. That's a union thing. I know people will say, why is that the case? Um, but this is, uh, you know, my the, the police chief, and this is unusual, denounced the alleged misconduct. Like, they must think they know. And he doesn't often say anything about these no. cases. Yeah, so he did come forward and make a statement on that. Yeah, but it's 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 awful. Like, this, we have all these systems, we have all these bumpers, we have all these safeguards to protect people, and it, it's, it's really disconcerting. And you know, and I know, and we have enough probably friends, relatives, whatever, who say, this could happen to me if I speak up. 
this could happen to me if I if I report. Oh, they're that, terrified. Right. So many of them right. are terrified to step forward. And our system fails women in this regard. She had repeated pleas for help from the police. She'd asked them multiple times, telling her telling them that her ex boyfriend kept threatening her safety, and they dismissed the case as a he said, she said. And what happened? She was found by police suffering from gunshot wounds uh, in an underground garage at Jane and Wilson. And she died at the scene. 23-year-old woman. So young. So the cop did three things. He failed to notify an intimate partner violence investigator. It's good that that's there. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. And, and so people know that, that, that that's this isn't something that you can easily dismiss and get away with it. He isn't getting away with it. But I find interesting, Sheba, is he talked to the um, the complainant the now deceased woman for approximately 39 minutes. He talked to the ex-boyfriend for three. What can you get well, done in three you right minutes so of quizzing somebody? So obviously this police officer is lacking in training on how to handle domestic violence cases. Based on this, 39 minutes versus three minutes. Right there. And then walking away from it and, think, and calling it a he said, she said case. Yeah. Like there has to be. And I understand domestic violence cases are so common. They happen multiple times daily. Police officers go out there, they check out the scene, they have to take statements from both people. This happens often enough. I know this because I know a lot of police officers. Uh, mm. And and I this is this is something that I'm very I know it's why you don't get tickets. Thank you. You're you're, you're uh, no, I'm a really <laughs> safe, good driver. That's okay, why I don't okay. get tickets. It's that too. But yeah. I mean, in cases of intimate partner violence, or yeah. there should be some kind of a criminal harassment charge. But it's they deem it as he said, she said, and then look what happened to this young woman. I always think we have really. Um, Smart listeners, except for that guy and, and the other guy texting right now. Stop, stop, stop texting us. But we have really smart listeners. I bet you the majority of them don't know this because I sure didn't yesterday. Ontario is the only province in Canada. Police cannot be legally suspended or fired unless they're convicted of a crime that requires incarceration. Yeah, That's crazy to me. Crazy to me that you can't fire or suspend a police officer. You got to get convicted and that crime that can't be just, you know, stealing paper clips. That that can't even be probably passing bad checks cuz we you need now to go we to jail. Yeah, we say this all the time. Well, we don't want people going to jail for, you know, petty crimes and white collar this and white collar that. But my goodness, that's got to I don't know who could change that. The premier? That like Queens Park? I would assume it it comes from them cuz they have to they provide funding for municipalities to have their police. I don't know who would change that, but that's a provincial Law. That's not just about the cities. So that it comes from, yes, it comes from, from I, him. I, I mean, there ha- yeah, they have a union. They have to have some safeguards. They're absolutely, um, you know, entitled to uh, to be innocent until proven guilty. And they're entitled to every legal defense imaginable. This Alfonso, same thing. Let's see where this goes. But the idea that it would take a crime that requires incarceration to fire a police officer <sighs> is shocking to me. Shocking. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. And I bet you in the United States, that's not the case. Cops lose their job all the time, all the time. And there's a lot more abuse of power in the United States than there is here. That's relatively speaking. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We tried. We did everything we could. It was like an interrogation session last week with our next guest. And finally, she's here to to tell us what we hoped, what we thought. And what we might have even, you know, been 99.9% sure. Mitzi Hunter, uh, Liberal MP for Scar- MPP for Scarborough Guildwoods in studio with us. And uh, you've got some news. Tell us the news. You Have it come out of your own uh, mouth what you're going to do here. Well, Greg, and I had to come in studio <laughs> to tell you this direct. So I am running to be the next mayor 
of Toronto. I want a city that works for everyone. And when nominations open on Monday, April 3rd, Mitzi Hunter will be registering to be the next mayor. Yeah. When um, when the news happens about John Tory in February, um, Super Bowl weekend, did any kind of tingling sense go right then? Did We're all in shock a little bit. I mean, that's not what we expected to hear. Um, did it take a day, a couple days, a week before it sort of galvanized in your brain that you would do this? Well, certainly when, when the news broke on Friday night, um, I was shocked and I, I posted that in terms of how I was feeling. Someone I had known for quite some time throughout most of my professional career, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and, you know, by the next morning, I had a whole list of texts, emails, um, and uh, people were reaching out. And and I thought it was more reactionary until I got, you know, later into the weekend and I realized, no, no, there is, um, there's, there seems to be a real thread here and I need to see where this goes. When so you keep getting them. When I keep getting them. Something. So I actually yeah. um, returned a call um, to, to someone who I'm, I'm quite close to and uh, and that's that's really what started it all. I, I started to make more and more calls and and got real support. And you know, for me, you know, coming out of Scarborough, where I, I've you know been the MPP for ten years, um, you know, this was uh, a, a significant thing. Um, I, I I love the city. I, I actually spent most of my my working life thinking about how to make this city great. And um, and to to have an opportunity to lead and to be the mayor um, is just something that, you know, I, I feel that I bring that experience. Um, so it's, it's it's both. It's experience working at the city scale, but it's also a different approach, which I think is important at this time. The city's changed so much. Um, and I, I think there's things that are certainly better about it than 10, 15, 20 years ago. I think there's there's a connectivity to all of us that ends up being um, better. But we also see some things sliding the other way. Let's talk about what you see over the last decade, 15 years that excites you, that gives you great energy about what the city is and can be. Yeah, Greg, and I I think that, you know, your 10-year frame is a really good one because if we go back, I've been elected for 10 years, so if we go back to 2013, you know, I I was the CEO of Civic Action. Uh, We were talking about building public transit. We had a a campaign called What Would You Do With 32? And that that means, you know, if you had an extra 32 minutes of, of commute time given back to you, what would you do with that? And, you know, a lot of people talked about, I would walk my dog, I would, you know, sleep longer, I would do all these wonderful quality of life things. And, uh, and so if you look at where we are now, we're not so much debating whether or not we need to invest in public transit. We know we need to invest in public transit. You know, I, I'm a kid from Scarborough, that's where I grew up. And I'm excited that, you know, we now have digging happening for the subway right at McCowan and Shepherd. So it's no longer should we invest in this transit for a part of our city that was left out. It's like, no, we need to bring our whole city together and have an appropriate uh, transit network that connects all parts of our city. And Scarborough is finally getting that. Um, and, and that happened over the last decade. And with successes, go- successive governments, I have to, to say, mm. it started with the Liberals. It's now being continued um, under Ford's government. And, um, and so that's something I'm proud of. Very proud of also some of the work that is being done um, on, you know, making investments in, in, in more services like 
healthcare. In Scarborough, we're going to be getting a new medical school. That's something that, you know, I noticed. I, I said to the principal of UTSC, why don't we have a medical school in at, at UTSC? UTM and Mississauga sense, had one. Yeah. Downtown has one. Why not Scarborough? And and so we started um, to, to work on that, and we finally now will have that yeah. open in 2028. How far will that be? Because Centenary is a great hospital. My kid yeah. had his knee surgery there. Like, yeah. we, don't, we don't generally rank and go, Wow, here are my favorite hospitals because we'd rather not ever be in a hospital, but but it's a really good hospital. Would that be close by to where Centenary is? In fact, there's going to be um, for the residents of the the medical school. So obviously, the school will be on the UTSC campus, but there's going to be a, um, a a building put up at Nielsen and Ellesmere that yeah. uh, that will have uh, some some residency work and other types of uh, work. I just imagine, you know, like I took the Ellesmere bus you know, every day to campus and, and yeah. to, to be able to, to, for a young person growing up in Scarborough to be able to see that school and to, to be able to dream and to imagine that they could practice there. That's something that is really, really critical. Um, you know, just broadening that out from what's happening in Scarborough, you know, I, you know, I think that when we look at our tech sector and we look at some of the areas that we're strong on in, in Toronto, that's something we can be proud of mm-hmm. as well. Those create good jobs. That's where innovation happens. And, you know, and that's why I'm running to be the mayor of this city, because, you know, I believe that our city has to continue to move forward when it comes to creating jobs, when it comes to the economy. We're the economic engine of the province and of the country. And uh, and we have to continue to be that, you know, as as things change, you know, things like automation and AI, you know, we, we can't just rest on our laurels and say what we did in the past is going to serve us into the future. We have to continuously innovate. We have to continue to champion and fight for mm. Toronto. And that's what I, I want to do as the next mayor. Mitzi Hunter's joining us. Um, she's, of course, the MPP for Scarborough Guildwood, but uh, her hat is in the ring to be the next mayor of Toronto, as she just told you. Um, the, it's such a jigsaw puzzle when we talk about safety, policing, transit, um, how we feel, what's what's practical, the data that we see. Um, it's it's going to take some work to put it all together. It takes tough conversations. It takes a lot of work um, for all of us to sort of hold hands in a circle. We're not always going to agree on the right policies, but what do you see as the biggest issues to make Torontonians feel more safe? Yeah, and this is a this is a big issue. I've actually been working on issues of public safety for quite some time. Uh, you know, I want to make gun violence a public health issue so that we can get the appropriate resources to actually break cycles of violence and end it from happening in the first place. And you know, when we think about what's been happening on the TTC, it's it's real. Um, and it's for public safety, but it's also for the workers who are there also. We have to remember they have to be the ones that stand guard and are vigilant, and, and they deserve to be safe as well. And so people, in order to return uh, to full ridership and, and for people to really rely on the TTC as a transit system, they have to know that it is safe. They have to feel safe, and they actually have to be safe. I do have a multi-pronged approach to this, um, some things that we can do immediately and right away with existing resources. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, uh, you know, requiring the Toronto Police Services to, you know, make sure that they're visible on patrol with their, um, uh, as they're doing their regular beat. Just, you know, have that visible presence um, at our transit stations because of the risks that we are seeing, because of the incidences that have occurred. That will reassure, that will go a long way in reassuring the public that they are safe. Uh, We do have our transit officers already in the system. Why not 
pair them up with social workers. Because oftentimes, right. um, some of the situations that are occurring, it really does require someone who not only has um, training in terms of how to relate to someone who may, um, you know, be having a vulnerability, they may have a men mental illness or an addiction or, or anything like that. So let's have those social workers there that can also connect them to services in the community. I think you nailed it with that approach because the, the balance is everything. I'm, I'm watching European cities pull it off. Some American cities are starting to even figure it out to where we can't send somebody unarmed with a clipboard to a domestic disturbance, but we shouldn't send a, a SWAT team to a mental illness scenario. We've got to find that balanced approach to where there's we're asking a lot from the police to be mental health experts. And we're asking a lot from mental health experts to enforce a crime taking place. So we need both. You got it. That that appropriate balance is important and uh, and give people the, the help and support when they need it and how they need it. And it's an efficient way of deploying existing resources. Mm. I also um, know that eyes on the streets are important. This is something Jane Jacob taught us, right? And, you know, we have a transit system that, you know, has not come back to full service and full force since the pandemic for different reasons. You know, 43% of foot traffic has returned downtown. So there's just less people taking the system. So why yeah. not um, have a community ambassador program, recruit people from within the, around the transit stations in neighborhoods, and they can actually start to do things like a safety audit or a safety walk, once again, having more visible presence within their So local not quite a guardian angel thing, but no, a volunteer group. A volunteer group. Yeah. They could do a safety blitz and uh, and they can promote and talk about safety. Also, they're, yeah. they're looking at it differently and they could point out areas that might be vulnerable or where they don't feel safe. And we can address those maybe with lighting and other types of things. Um, I also mm. believe that um, in the longer term, the glass sliding doors... You know, other areas. Uh, Europe's, know, Europe's nailed this. They they've figured this nailed out. it, right? Yep. Just keep people away from the tracks, away from, you know, harm. Um, and we know it's it's costs, but we can do it gradually. We can start with, you know, maybe the busiest stations. Have a plan to do that. And, you know, that we know that's a solution. Let's bring mm. that into the uh, Toronto system. Mitzi Hunter here. Really appreciate you uh, coming in studio. Thanks for doing this. You've been on You've been on the station a lot, though. You've been on with Oakley a lot. When I started listing the station, you were on with Oakley. Yes, I have been on with Oakley. What a Oakley. crazy character he is, huh? He, he's you so never crazy. know what you'll get. And then his panel and cast of characters that he brings on. I saw John <laughs> Capobianco just last week at the Toronto Region Board of Trade dinner, and we had a good laugh. Mm. Um, you know, it, you, you, gotta, you can't be afraid to just work with people who disagree with you. I, I'm, I'm actually really known as a unifier, uh, yeah. a collaborator. I work together with people from all sides. We were just talking about off air and someone texts into our number, which is 416-870-6400. They love the volunteer idea. And just the fact that we started talking about guardian angels, not like that, but would there be satin jackets? I don't know if you go with a full satin jacket approach but i don't know it's well, not impossible well we could we could we can you know we can start uh start perhaps just with people sh people showing up, Show up doing yeah. the work and then maybe 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 later they can get a jacket or uh, a, or a hat how about that that's right I, i've asked almost everybody how they'd work with the different levels of government you're going to bring a lens to this especially for queen's park that I think is going to be a, a major tool in your toolbox because you know how the sausage gets made at Queen's Park. You've seen it and you've been on the government side and out of government as well. What is that experience? What is that advantage that you go, well, no one else in the race is going to have this really? 
Well, well, I'm pretty sure that no one no one has had the the level of experience I've had, particularly um, on the finance side. Of, I've been the associate minister of finance. I actually served on treasury board for a whole year, so I've seen how programs get funded and and you sort of what works. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that uh, that experience is going to be important at this time, especially as you know we're really looking at the city finances and how do we make sure that every single tax dollar is we squeeze every last value out of that tax dollar um, for the benefit of the city. You know, we have to make sure that the actual basic services of the city, whether it's clearing snow or, you know, clearing garbage and those types of things, that they're done well and and that people are seeing that, you know, there's value here uh, in our city, that we take pride in our in our city services. And um, and and also, you know, that where it's not being done, that, that we we correct that. Um, at the same time, you know, there are some some aspects that the city just doesn't have the funding tools to, to manage on its own. Um, very concerned about the funding of our transit system. And, uh, you know, we to be a world class city, you have to have a really, you know, well connected transit system, which we are building out. And um, and we're also talking about, you know, how to maintain it. And so those aspects of, of our budget is, you know, we really have to pay attention to that, mm-hmm. as well as, um, you know, some of the city infrastructure that we, we see that is crumbling, that is, you know, not serving us well. We, we have to, to have a plan in place to to make sure that those things are, are restored over time. One thing when, when um, I watch you and listen to you is I also think you politics is a business. I think you're passionate about it and you love it. But I also think you avoid um, you avoid the mud and you avoid the the personal stuff. I, I think sometimes um, there's people you could be in opposition and everyone just feels enraged and the house is on fire every day. It's a little like parenting. You got to pick your spots. You're gonna. Ra- it's not a great day when you got to raise your voice as a parent. But if you do it every day, five times a day, you won't you won't connect. I find when you say this is wrong and here's why, I, I think I think you've got those moments, which makes you probably able to work with Doug, which probably makes you able to work with Justin. That's what I see. Yeah, you you got to be reasonable. You got to be pragmatic. And also you have to come with solutions and ideas. And, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Prime Minister Trudeau or Premier Ford, everyone recognizes that Toronto cannot fail. We just cannot fail. As a city uh, in this country, Toronto has to succeed for Canada and for the province to succeed. So, mm. Our job, I believe, at the city level and my job would be to be that champion of Toronto, uh, to be that champion for for young people who are looking for an affordable place, you know, that they can rent and start their life, Um, to be that champion for, you know, those those. uh, aspects of our city that perhaps feel left out a little bit. And, uh, you know, I kind of know that coming coming from Scarborough and, you know, mm. you want in, you want to make sure that people recognize that, you know what, the people who live in Scarborough are our ICU nurses. Uh, they're the ones that are are there that are sort of doing the work that is essential. And, and that's why I want to be the mayor for a city that works for everyone. You have a ton of constituents that drive into the city for work and they're nurses and they're teachers. And maybe they wanted a bigger parcel of land to raise their family. Maybe like we've so documented, it's been more difficult to live in the city proper. Um, so, so they drive in, but that's exactly it. Like, I don't think you have to live in Toronto to care about Toronto. It, it, you, you just said it, it's a house of cards. And if Toronto doesn't go well, what do you think is going to happen to Mississauga, Ajax, Richmond Hill? It's it, it's dominoes. It all goes down. Let me tell you, you know, coming out of civic action, that's what I thought about constantly. 
how to make our our city work but our region as well because there we all people don't recognize the borders right whether mm-hmm. you know they're coming down to see a Jays game or a Raptors game you know they want to make sure that that there's not you know, impossible congestion. They want to make sure that it's safe. You know, they can ride the transit system. All of these issues are faced in common and, uh, and our region city region has to work mm-hmm. in all sides, in all aspects. We need a mayor Mincy Hunter on stage with, I mean, you know, John Tory got a lot to do a lot of that NBA championship, MLS champion, the Argos won again. Maybe a mayor Mincy Hunter would, would be, uh, you know, watching a Stanley cup parade for the Leafs. Maybe just, I don't, you know, stranger things. Uh, no, stranger things haven't happened. Listen, as as, never mind. I, I am a huge <laughs> sports fan. My my younger brother played basketball professionally. Uh, he traveled all over In Europe. Europe. Yeah. yeah, he yeah. did. Andrew Hunter. I'm giving him a shout out. And uh, what just, was his favorite European country to play? in? what do you think? Where did oh he play my a lot goodness! Because he played in dozens. Um, I would say. <laughs> No, maybe yeah. France. Oh my goodness! My, my mom and I, we, we went yeah. to, to visit him uh, when he was in France, and I, I'm just going to throw that one out because because <laughs> we had a good time visiting <laughs> him there. So. Stay in Paris. Yeah, we'll come to every road game in Paris. That's good with us. Yeah. So so yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I would mm. certainly be a mm. booster of all of our. I, I think Toronto's doing amazing when it comes to the sports franchises, um, yeah. you know, that that's where you really see the city united because I can tell you that when we won that NBA championship, I was watching <laughs> some of those games um, at the Civic Center in Scarborough with amazing Raptor fans. We were yelling and screaming. Oh, just all the as, road games at Golden State, right? in Celebration yeah. Square. Like, like all these Jurassic yeah. Park pop-up yeah. locations, right? Yeah, 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 a bunch of us In Jurassic Park, yeah. It, it, so it, that's those are the things mm-hmm. we need to do to unite. We got about uh, 90 seconds, two minutes, but I, I wanted to let your answer stretch out here. It, it's a Is it a bittersweet thing, um, provincial politics? It's been a passion of yours. You've done it for a decade. I know the last election result may have been even more disappointing than, than 2018 because, you, you know, you thought it's been four years of the Ford government. We're going to get back on our feet, make some progress. And though you kept your seat, there was only a gain of one. Um, how how does that sort of resonate in your chest and your heart that it's you're leaving something that you love to chase something else you loved? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm hopeful and um, and I'm, I'm seeing things. Uh, first of all, we've got some amazing people in our caucus that I know they will carry on that that fight, hold the government's feet to the fire as they should as an opposition members. Uh, I'm definitely hopeful about the party and um, what I saw at our last AGM, the, you know, the largest, we had over 1500 people there. And, uh, and so the grassroots of our party are alive and well, we've got a lot of work to do and we know that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, what I, I do feel though, is that, you know, I am, while I'm moving towards this, uh, this, this role as becoming Toronto's next mayor, um, I really want to to take that same 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 Mitzi that championed Scarborough to the rest of the city, and um, and so I, I really believe that my real love is working with people. Like that's what I I love to do. I've always done it actually in every mm-hmm. everything that I've done, and so you know as as mayor I would that would be you know my life's work. 
Wow. It's going to be uh, an intense three months, but uh, you'll be, you know, talking about it uh, the rest of your life to see how the next three months goes. It's a pleasure having you in. I hope it won't be our last visit, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Greg. Uh, Mitzi Hunter, Scarborough Guildwood MPP, but uh, chasing after the top job in Toronto as mayor. Uh, for favorite city on the planet. Paris was second. We learned, we broke that news uh, today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. We have him in studio and we're happy to. He is a 36-year-old city councillor, uh, Brad Bradford. Um, if you become Mayor Bradford, what will you do about this late uh, late March cold weather? Please say you have a plan, an action plan. We're Make ha- it stop. Yeah, we're Find be- that groundhog. We're going to be less talk, more action. The weather's a little bit trickier one to navigate. But uh, yeah, stepping outside this morning, pretty chilly for this deep in March. How'd you feel waking up this morning? Uh, it feels good. You know, yeah. um, we're, we're in council, which uh, sometimes is an exercise in frustration. Uh, but there are so many important issues that we need to be getting to work on. Uh, my experience on council over the past term and my time as a civil servant, as an urban planner working for the city, has demonstrated over and over again, uh, we need less talk, we need more action, more decisive decision making. And, uh, you know, really over the past number of weeks, as I've engaged in this process, uh, I've talked to thousands of Torontonians and heard from their feedback. And I think Toronto is at a breaking point and the city is increasingly less affordable. It's less safe. It's harder to get around. and, And folks are frustrated by the lack of action and real results that local government is delivering. I am running for mayor to deliver real action for people, a, a strong mayor of action, and get going on the things that matter most. It, it, it really is at a breaking point. And, and I never know, you watch the news cycle just like anybody, and, and I never know what's going to stick and what's not. And sometimes you'll do a story and you'll be like, there wasn't a lot of reaction to that. Saturday's murder um, feels like it, it, will, it will change every conversation um, the rest of our existence. Whereas it's funny, it, it, sadly, we see a massive gun shooting in the United States and you know and I know and everybody listening probably knows and there were politicians that outright said it. Nothing will change. I don't feel like that's us in Toronto here. I think Saturday has changed the conversation about what we need to do and the pressure we need to put on other politicians to help keep a city like this safe. That's right. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. And as a father of a two year old, um, you know, you think about your child not coming home because they decided to ride, ride the subway. Uh, so that, that's where it's at. And, you know, I took the subway to work often, uh, and I have been this week and I, I talk to folks and, you know, they're scared. People are not taking transit because they don't feel safe. You go down onto the platform right now, everybody's backs are jammed against the wall because there's not a 0% chance that you could end up on the tracks. So people expect to see real results. How are we going to resolve this? Uh, not long-term plans, not stuff, you know, years from now, but what are we going to do tomorrow to restore safety to the TTC? Because, you know, if if transit's not an option for people, uh, the city gets further into gridlock. If people don't mm-hmm. feel safe in our community, in this city, then Toronto's not a livable place to be. And so, you know, we are going to have a conversation at council today about a $15 million reserve fund for safety on the TTC. Uh, we've only spent 10% of that today. Uh, and this is a time when you want to make sure that we have the resources in, in place, uh, help us bridge the gap and restore some t- safety to transit. In specifics, you've mentioned, Brad, that reserve fund. Does council need to go to Rick Leary and basically say, release these funds? Does he have ar- Does he have the arbitrary call as to whether to release them or not? If every councillor and the deputy mayor want it, is there any way he can say, not just yet? 
No, I mean, I mean, it rests with the the Toronto Transit Commission, but they will be coming into council today, uh, and we will be hearing from them on what the plan is going to be to restore safety to the TTC. And again, so much of the challenges, um, you know, at City Hall. Um, are, are, are around restoring service uh, and ridership to to transit. And I say to folks, let's be honest about the problem. People don't feel safe and for good reason. So you could talk about service levels on the TTC, but if you don't feel safe riding it, uh, you're not going to be taking transit. You're going to be finding another way to get there. So that has to be our number one priority. We need to be doing it today. We need to be doing it tomorrow. Uh, this is not something where we can look down the road for, for months and years ahead and, and try and write another report, come up with a long-term plan. We need to take action today. Your last couple trips, what did you see in terms of a presence of security or police? What did you see? I didn't see, uh, I didn't see any police. That could be my, uh, my anecdotal experience. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. Like when we had the, uh, overtime officers there, you had 80 officers across a system that's carrying a million people a day. Uh, there are so many stations across the network. There's, you're not going to see somebody always, but there are TTC staff on the platforms. There are folks in vests that are highly visible. There are people that are directing the flow of, of uh, pedestrians, and yet we still have issues. Uh, there are big communication challenges uh, down in the TTC as well. People, you know, you don't get notified when there's an issue. Uh, if we could do a better job notifying people when there is an issue, uh, then, you know, you, ca you can not show up at a station when the trains are not running because there's an incident. Um, it's going to take a comprehensive response. We understand that there is going to be a need for, uh, you know, planning things out and understanding what the issues are with respect to homelessness, with respect to mental health, with respect to substance abuse, with respect to violent crime. Um, we have to diagnose that problem, but that should not stand in the way mm -hmm. of taking action today to restore safety on the TTC. I I'm sure you're hearing from constituents saying when I go to places and I see security or a police officer, I know it doesn't land the same way with everybody. And of course we have to have conversations about that. But I also think you feel more secure. If we went to a, you know, to a TFC game or a Leafs game and there were no cops, no security, I think we'd feel okay, but we, we weren't, we wouldn't be sure when we see them in airports, when we see them in banks, <laughs> they're there for a reason. And the idea that taking our, our most precious citizens from A to B, kids, seniors, everybody, um, and there isn't sort of a presence, I think we'd ask, well, why do we care about them so much at these other places, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's a vital piece of infrastructure. People rely on the TTC every day, and yet you can't rely on it right now. Uh, and again, it goes back first and foremost, if we cannot provide uh, safe and secure, reliable transportation for people, uh, they're not going to be taking it. So it, it has to be, uh, this council has to be compelled to take action. And again, my experience, uh, both on the, on the civil service side as an urban planner and, and as a politician, uh, there's far too much talk endless debate, deliberation, delay, deferral, not enough action. Um, you would be surprised about the things that we're talking about council uh, yeah. over the number of days. We're not talking enough about the issues that matter to Torontonians. We're not talking about affordability. We're not talking about community safety. Uh, instead, we're reopening debates uh, from years ago on infrastructure projects like the Gardener. We spent an hour yesterday uh, debating whether or not we should rename the five smart track stations to something else. I watched, I know. You know, know, it's ridiculous and it's frustrating for people. And I think folks are sick and tired of politicians down in the council chambers that are so disconnected from the reality of everyday Torontonians' experience. And, you know, my position is one where I will be a strong mayor of action and actually focus on the things 
that matter most to people, recognizing we can't be everything to everyone, but clear in our priorities, clear on our deliverables, and actually showing up for Torontonians mm. and making sure local government is delivering for them. We've got Brad Bradford in studio with us. He's announced that he's running for mayor, filing his papers. Your mom's a politician. And she didn't like my parents. Most people, their parents talk their kids out of doing what they do. My parents said, don't teach. And I'm like, but I want to. But they talked me out of it. Uh, I don't tell my kids not to go into broadcasting, but I wink. I wink and they hear enough of my conversations. They're probably like, oh, no, not for me. But you decided politics to follow in, in your mom's footsteps. Like, did you ever, were you a political animal from day one? Were you always intrigued by it? This is a funny story. Um, so my mom actually followed me into politics. Uh, so I was elected. In yeah, 20- technically that is true. Okay. I, okay. Yeah. I was yeah. elected in 2018 to city council here in Toronto. She was elected in 2021. Had she been on a school board? I don't have that in front. No, there was no. nothing. Huh? Yeah. So, you know, my mom, uh, she rode your coattails. That's the opposite. Usually She's been my role model, uh, my entire life. We always joke. I've, I've known her since day one. Uh, <laughs> but, but she was a single mom and she raised three kids on her own. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and, uh, she worked very, very hard to provide every opportunity that, that we had. And and we didn't want for a lot. Uh, we didn't know, uh, but you know, it was tough just like it is for, for families here in Toronto, Toronto. And I think it's a, it's a story that is very much, uh, resonates with a lot of people. People understand raising a family is, is challenging. And she did that on her own with three kids. Uh, she also did, you know, economic development uh, at the municipality she was working at. And when she retired, uh, there was a unique moment here where um, uh, there was an opportunity to seek a nomination. She wanted to continue to serve her community, and she was well positioned to do that. I encouraged her to run. I don't know if that was a good idea or not, but she enjoys representing her, her community uh, in, in Kitchener. It's harder than ever. I was talking with my wife. We're both in the media, and we were talking about this last night going, it's such a changed job than it would have been um, pre-social media, pre-the internet, all that stuff. Of course, people are always going to come up to you and some of them will be angry and you got to diffuse situations and some of them will say, well, this happened to me. What are you going to do about it? But then you've also got people going, what can I do to sort of, you know, get this person and what can I do to, to get my candidate in next time? So you're sort of you're ready for anything, and it's, you're, you're jumping in a race, as you know. I think you're a name in this race, but there's a lot of other names. There are just plain more names than the names John Tory ran against last fall. Yeah, it's going to be a, a very crowded ballot, but I think what matters to people is delivering results. I think it is, it's about less talk. It's about more action. And whether it's about improving affordability here in the city of Toronto, whether it's about making our community safer, whether it's about getting the city moving, you know, it's so hard to get around Toronto right now. People want to see real results delivered on that. That's why I'm going to be a strong mayor of action. Less talk, more action, and making sure that we're making the city work for Torontonians. Brad Bradford's in studio with us. Um, you were, uh, I think, seen as being close politically with John. Um, you were probably in shock like all the rest of us in early February. The city now views this as some form of of do over. Had would you have run in two thousand twenty six? Do you think, regardless? But this has just accelerated things for you more than anybody dramatically, obviously expected five months ago. Well, look, I love the city. I care a lot about Toronto. People bet on this city every single day, but they're not betting on Toronto as it exists today. It is the future prospect of what Toronto could be. And so, you know, I, I'm I'm thirty six. Uh, I'm an optimist. I'm trained as an urban planner. I've always cared deeply about cities. I've made it my profession uh, to Mm -hmm. go into that space. Politics is about 
opportunity to create impact. It's about opportunity to make people's lives better. And, uh, you know, that was why I originally ran uh, back in 2018 was having worked in the chief planner's office at the city of Toronto, the frustration with the delay, the deferral, the endless report requests and a lack of results. Having been on council for four years, it didn't take that long to diagnose the problem that we are constantly stuck in a spin cycle. We are constantly caught up in, in debates that are so disconnected from people's real lives. Uh, this is an opportunity to deliver results for people. And, and again, as I said, like talking to t thousands of Torontonians, um, they, they feel like Toronto's at a breaking point. Do we, housing-wise, do we have what is deemed a NIMBY problem and how do we conquer? We had Scott Aitchison on the show yesterday, and, and he went right at, at Bonnie Crombie earlier this week because Mississauga turned down like a couple high-rise buildings. Everybody will say in their community they want housing. Counselors will say they want housing. And then when buildings come to their neighborhood that may not fit what they think their their you know riding's demographics are, they sort of they get a little more hesitant than they were when they were doing all the talking weeks earlier. What do we do about it? Yeah, I, you know, I am so tired of seeing councillors stand up uh, in, in council and beat their chests about the housing crisis or tweeting about it. And then they take a 30 story building, uh, an affordable housing site built on top of a billion dollars of transit infrastructure in Midtown, and then try and knock it down to 15 stories. And I'm saying you're leaving 15 floors of affordable housing on the table. And I just think when it comes to public lands and delivering on the housing crisis, we need to maximize every opportunity we have to deliver more housing for more people. But you're right. You know, I, I have been through that as a first term counselor. Uh, you know, I, 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 I built supportive housing on a parking lot in East York and the amount of backlash that I got for that, uh, literally death threats on my phone about building that supportive housing. But I was very clear to the community, this will be a housing site. We are going to build housing. You can't tell me there's a housing crisis and then say, I'm not prepared to take any action on it. So we have to be unequivocal uh, and acknowledge that there are housing challenges and the future sustainability of our city is predicated on the belief that if you want to come to Toronto, we want to have you and there will be housing available for you to live here. And what creates services, right? Housing, taxes, population, uh, spending, spending, you know, disposable income. We have a uh, right the right around the corner from my house in Ajax, we had a variety store close up, just a convenience store. And then there was a hairdresser right next to it. But now that's closed. And every time I drive by there, I'm like, that real estate's not the same. The neighborhood's not the same. And you just get that vibe. And, and you'll get this when your, your daughter's old enough to bike to the convenience store where you'd see your son there hanging out with his friends, hopefully causing no trouble. But at the And now that, that doesn't exist. And that affects communities. And we've seen that all over the GTA. The communities are changing, right? Yeah. And, and people are we have more people moving out of Toronto last year uh, than we have moving in. Despite historic levels of immigration and growth, uh, it is less and less affordable and there are less housing options available to people. So, you know, again, I'm 36. It's, it's not abstract for me. It is literally my friends. You know, maybe they went to school. Maybe they have a good job. Maybe they've got a trade. They're making good money. They can't afford to live here. So I talk about workforce housing. You could call it middle-class housing, whatever. But the people who are doing the jobs here in the city of Toronto, it is essential for our economic growth, for our prosperity, and for mm. the inclusivity of the city that they actually have housing options. And that's why we need to look at the historic sort of 
planning paradigm that has governed this city since amalgamation and recognize the world is changing, the city is changing, our policy mm. and approach to housing needs to change as well. And if you're going to be a, uh, you know, a councillor or a leader here in Toronto that is going to be saying no to housing, uh, I don't think that uh, that you should be in that job. Brad Bradford's joining us in studio. We've got a few minutes left with him on uh, 640 Toronto and Toronto Today. Um, strong mayor powers. On paper, I look at them, they look anti-democratic. I also look at the unique times we're in and think this is maybe a really big city. And I think I think cities all over North America, New York, Chicago, L.A., Philly, wherever they're they're in this unique post pandemic circumstance that um, that maybe they're useful and can be utilized. What would you do with these powers? Well, I'm going to campaign and be very honest and clear with people. You know, I will take advantage of every opportunity I have to move things forward, and that includes strong mayor legislation. But it's not just uh, strong mayor legislation. Being a strong mayor means more than that. It is a mentality. It is a leadership style. It is an approach to local government. So a strong mayor is someone who is not afraid to stand in there on the floor of council and take a position even if it's unpopular, but it's important to the city. Mm. A strong mayor is someone who's not afraid to go toe-to-toe with the province and the federal government to fight for Toronto and get what we need to move the city forward. And a strong mayor is also someone who makes room at the table for those conversations and discussions, you know, is open to listening to input and and moving on issues. So it's mm. a strong mayor mentality. It's a strong mayor of action. It's about delivering results for Torontonians. And yes, the legislation is part of that. Put it on the table in the election. We can have a campaign about it and voters will decide. I'll lay stretch this out here. How do you work? I saw a, a deputy mayor yesterday and Jennifer McKelvey, you know, put into a, a difficult situation. She is certainly doing the best she can. Um, but you know the financial circumstances. Like it's stark to watch her talk about being let down by the federal government. Um, the, there was not much in the provincial budget for the city as well. How does a mayor, Brad Bradford, work with the premier, work with the prime minister um, over the next three years to get what Toronto needs? Well, it's very important to to remind our our colleagues at Queens Park and and on the Hill. Twenty percent of the national GDP comes through Toronto. So the success of Toronto is very much indicative of how it's going to go for Queen's Park and how it's going to go for the federal government. So they recognize that we all have shared values about building housing, building infrastructure, you know, and and making sure that we continue to grow, but we cannot do it alone. And I will be very honest and very clear with people about local government, what we ought to be focused on, what we're best positioned to deliver on, and what we're not. And so it is time for uh, it's time for action on this front. I want to be transparent and clear. We cannot be everything to everybody. And Toronto, like all municipalities, you know, and everyone listening on the radio, municipalities have held the bag for successive governments for decades as there has been constant downloading and downloading onto the backs of of our Canadian cities. And that just doesn't work anymore. Toronto is at a breaking point. Uh, We need to have those tough conversations with the province and the feds, but from a place of collaboration, because again, they want to build transit. They want to build housing. They want to make sure our economy continues to grow. But we we have to be honest about who ought to be delivering what level of service and what's what's left for local government and what needs to be a provincial or federal priority. I got a minute here. Where would you go on on the gardener? Um, what can we do? It's it's I, I don't know that there's a great solution, but we got to pick some solution. Yeah, well, we did pick a solution in 2015. And I think that the endless gardener debates is one of the best examples of how disconnected City Hall and some of the politicians are there from to- the reality of Torontonians. 
That is one of the busiest trucking corridors in North America. Rochester, Buffalo, Toronto, Montreal, those goods have to move. People have to move. This was a decision made nearly a decade ago. And the idea to, you know, put pens down, stop the construction that is literally underway, go back to the drawing board, go back through an environmental process for years, and that on the other side of that, somehow it's going to cost less and we're going to get a better result. Give me a break. We need to move forward on this. We will also be building a lot of housing that comes with that. But the city is going to be stuck in gridlock and people will be driving cars and mm -hmm. we got to move goods on trucks. So uh, the idea of taking a highway and slamming it down at street level, do you know what eight lanes of traffic at grade looks like? <laughs> it's not really an urban paradise. So. No, no, I know. And I always say this, big cities will have big city benefits and big city problems. Yeah. This is going to be one of them. It's big infrastructure. I know it's expensive, but the idea of delaying it another five years with no no sense mm -hmm. of what the cost is going to be. Uh, again, it's it's unfortunate that these things keep coming up. There are there are people uh, who are dying on the TTC. There are people who cannot afford or find a place to live here in the city. It is less affordable. It is harder to get around. And we have council colleagues standing up trying to reopen debates from nearly a decade ago with no actual plan on what we would do. Move forward. Strong yeah. mayor of action. Yeah. Less talk, more action. Get it done. Brad Bradford uh, in studio with us. He puts the paperwork in for mayor next Monday. Um, hopefully this won't be your last visit. And uh, you've always been great for coming on the show when we ask. So thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me, Greg. See you soon. Brad Bradford.